My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you money. My job is not just to entertain, educate, coach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We got a Johnny Mercer market, as in accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, latch on to the affirmative, and don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Now, that may seem, sound somewhat counterintuitive on a day where the Dow dropped 89 points, S&P backs at 0.66%, and the Nasdaq lost 1.25%. But hear me out. It's true. This market refuses to traffic in everything that's going wrong and instead focuses on what could go right. I'm going to give you some concrete examples. We came to this market with plenty of ugliness. You can taste the disappointment. You got House Democrats moving to impeach the president for last week's attack on the Capitol. They're basically saying we got a crazy man in the White House. He's capable of anything in the next nine days. The papers are filled with stories about how Biden's inauguration next week could be a similar travesty. The social media stocks were in the crosshairs after they suspended Trump for inciting violence and Bitcoin, which tends to help the stock market when it rallies. It got taken to the woodshed. Down nearly 25% from its highs last Friday at one point. And by the way, this thing, it does not trade well during the weekend. I mean, it's not. Let's just say I don't regard anything that happened this weekend with Bitcoin as being serious, but understand it's down. In short, things look pretty darn bleak. I mean, at 4 a.m., I was saying, oh, man, we got a real loser today. Yet the futures just can't seem to drag this market down. It is the futures that take it down or try to. Yes, we had a weak opening. But then the Accentuate the Positive crew came in and started buying. They created an in-between market with pockets where investors kept latching onto the affirmative no matter what. Now, before I get into the details of what's, of what's getting the treatment of legendary songwriter Johnny Mercer, I'm going to tell you a story from this weekend that I think really does crystallize, crystallize what's happening in the stock market. It's a little anecdotal. I know you want empirical, but I've got to give this to you. So I was out in Summit, New Jersey this weekend, and I, I realized I'd left the plugs for my PC. Uh, you know, I, I, my new thing is to carry two of them. Why? Because I don't know. I mean, because I break one mostly because I eat lunch on one. Clean it up a little. Oh, I was bummed. Where are the plugs? Where are the plugs? But my wife said, no works. We can go to Best Buy. It's three and a half miles away. What's the deal? I told her, no way. I don't want to get covid I mean, like you, is that the way you talk now? Oh, I don't want to get COVID. Uh, we talk about the virus all the time, and I prefer not to go anywhere except my friend Michael's garage bar because he's got a big screen TV and he's got turf ventilation. Oh, yeah, he's also, he's, they're nice people. These are my priorities in the age of coronavirus. My wife says, just get in the dark car. She'll go in, everything will be fine. We get to Best Buy, it's in Vauxhall, which she called Vauxhall, and there's this line 20 deep to get in the store. To get in the store. I tell her, you don't be a martyr. I'll go in myself. So I wait my turn. I pass the sign that says they're sold out of PlayStation, new Xbox. Made a note that you got to go buy anything involving those crimes. But when I get to the front of the line, there's a Best Buy guy there. Hey, yeah, he's wearing a blue shirt. I said, oh, what's the deal with this line? Like, why am I waiting in line? And he goes, well, you can't just mill around the store. As a matter of fact, you have to have a customer service rep with you. And they only have so many customer service reps, so you got to wait in line. Uh, the lack of a crowd protects everyone from COVID, even though he said there are a lot of upset people who just come up to the door and say, can't I just go in and shop? I want to buy something. I saw that. Gosh, well, I'd like to shop. Get out. Hmm. I thank him. Even as uh, the wait was a bummer. Turns out if I had called ahead, someone would have brought the plugs outside for me. I get the plugs. 
get back in the car. And I start griping. I said, whoever heard of waiting in line to get into a store to be able to buy one thing, not be able to buy anything else, and then they ship you out? I mean, Best Buy's last quarter wasn't so good. This has got to be the short of a lifetime. I mean, they're screwing up again. Well, she was apoplectic. What are you complaining about? What kind of jerk are you? What kind of jerk gives a retailer a hard time for protecting their customers and their employees? Well, she's got a point. I, this is mad money, not mad public health. So I figure Best Buy's got to be in trouble, right? I mean, how can you not be in trouble? I mean, how can you go to a store and a guy says, hey, no, no shopping here. But before I can even open the book on it to take a look today to tell you whether to sell it or not, what happens? The stock takes off. Given that Best Buy shopper, all brief, everybody this weekend probably had the same experience, at least the smaller format stores. Isn't that bad for business? In this market, though, my wife Lisa's right. There are buyers swarming for the stock regardless of the business. See, they don't seem to care that the company's actively discouraging shoppers. Why not? Well, first, maybe they don't care about the quarter because they have visions of vaccines dancing in their heads. Second, maybe the buyers don't care about the lines. People want their electronics and they're willing to wait in the freezing cold to buy them. Admittedly, it would have uh, bothered me a lot less if uh, I'd call ahead for a curbside. Third, maybe we have a shortage of retail stocks with exposure to the home office theme because nobody's going anywhere when the COVID numbers are this horrifying. Target, Williams, Sonoma, Lowe's, Home Depot. You've seen those stocks? They all work higher. The most important takeaway, though, I've been trading for four decades. Yeah, that old, what can you do? And in any other market, you would short the heck out of the stock. Not waste a Sunday if you weren't allowed to shop in there. Can you imagine? Uh, but uh, how about can they make the numbers if they're only letting a couple people in? Hey, be careful of that aisle. You're not allowed in that aisle. You might see something you like. But in this market, a line around the block to get in is a, a, a reason to buy, not sell. That's bringing gloom down to a minimum. Remember, when the whole country went into lockdown, that was an incredible buying opportunity for stocks like this one. That said, when you see stores only letting customers in one at a time, the way to play it is Amazon, right? But that's all big today. I say that one's headed higher, too. That just, it just had a bad day. What about the other accentuate the positive plays? Let's go over some of them, okay? Uh, Boeing. All right. Sadly, another plane went down this weekend. Given the company's recent track record, you had to believe the stock would get obliterated today. No. There's big analyst push. Boeing barely got ding. How about Twitter? Politics aside. I think you're banning the number one attraction, uh, the real Donald Trump, will hurt their ability to make a lot of money. But the fact that the stock was only down a couple of three bucks, uh, it, it, in part because Twitter has made itself essential to news junkies, tells me you got to latch on the affirmative on this one, too. Then there are the banks. And I am reeling from the positivity here. Remember how hated they were? No, not anymore. These stocks have been levitating for months. They start to report later this week. Right about now, Wall Street would normally begin to get real worried about what they are going to report because the stocks are coming in too hot. Now nobody cares. They just keep buying the firm upgrades the banks this morning. Says the same thing everyone else said. Boost the price target because, of course, the stocks have run <clears throat> and it works. They run some more. Look, I'm not totally against this relentless positivity. Today we learned that because of a semiconductor shortage, Ford can't manufacture enough vehicles to meet demand. Ford, letter F. At the same time, they took a $4.1 billion charge. Sell, 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 sell. <laughs> to end manufacturing in Brazil. In any other market, there would be shock. There would be horror. $4.1 billion charge. Huge earnings hit. And this one, of course, the stock rallied 3%. Why? Well, because there's huge demand for Ford vehicles, hence the shortage, kind of like Best Buy, right? And the fact that they're shutting down Brazilian manufacturing 
still going to sell trucks. Uh, that tells you that the new CEO, Jim Farley, means business. The old Ford was willing to keep manufacturing cars and trucks and lose a lot of money. They seem to have a policy. We are going to lose money everywhere. That's not a winning strategy. Farley's willing to be tough, which is why the stock remains not a buy, a screaming buy. The bottom line, if you're wondering how long the Johnny Mercerization of this market can last, I say stop right there. That's the kind of central casting question that's kept people away from stocks for ages. When you worry about your stocks, I want you to do this. I want you to think of me freezing in line outside Best Buy, waiting to get into an empty store on Saturday. It was a lousy experience. Heaven forbid I would actually see something I like down some empty aisle, but they wouldn't let me buy it. And you know what? The stock says, who cares? Mario. A Mario in Massachusetts. A Mario. Booyah, Kramer. Happy New Year, sir. Same to you. Thanks, man. I'm a second-time, long-time member of Action Alerts, and I just finished get reading, reading Get Rich Carefully. Holy Your cow, I'm not a copy handy right here. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for all you do, sir. Uh, my stock is up 65% for the year. It's approaching its 52-week high and its targets, including the one sent by you on the street or the team at the street. Uh, with a huge pipeline of games still on the horizon, I need to know how to handle my position in Take-Two Interactive. All right, well, first of all, thank you for being a member of the ActionLordsPlus.com club. We have been behind Strauss Selnick for a long time, stocks at 206. But when you go to these gaming, like the gaming palaces, what do they want? The new Grand Theft Auto is coming, and there's a new Red Dead Redemption and take two down three is a buy. Eric in Michigan. Eric. Hello, Jim. Hello, Eric. My question is on Rocket Company, symbol RKT. Rocket Mortgage. Uh, What's that? Isn't that number 11? Right? Well, yeah. Is that Fitz? Rocket Mortgage is, uh, I'm hoping it's going to be number one here soon. But my question, Jim, is with bank stocks rising in the past few months with the assumption that interest rates are going higher, and the fact that the lockup is expiring next month for the IPO, do you think these are the reasons the stock is lower and it's kind of trading in a range? Yeah, also, you know what? Stock- I think that people want right now, they want more. They want the big banks. I think that you hit, uh, hit upon something big when that lockup expiration uh, comes and then goes. I think it's a good company. I think people don't understand what a good lender they are. And that's what matters to me. Their credit, their lending is better, superior than almost every other bank. I like the company. I had a good hit with the stock, went all the way up. I said sell all the way back. It's interesting, but not compelling right now. I need Beth in Virginia. Beth. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good, Beth. How are you doing? I'm good, and I'm really excited. I am, uh, I don't know if I'm lucky or not to be a widow of a former employee of Bentley Systems, which is a family-owned engineering firm out of Exton, Pennsylvania. And Bentley supports professionals that are in the need that manage and create the world's infrastructure, such as airports, skyscrapers, industrial and power plants, et cetera, et cetera. And they went public in September. So my question to you is, as a, a widow that exercised some stock options at a very low price, would you buy, sell, or hold on to this stock? This is the kind of, it's Exton PA, which is about 20 minutes from me. Uh, I would say this. I would say that if you believe in infrastructure the way I do now that the Democrats own both the House and the Senate, you can't sell this. Even though it just had a very big run, I just don't think it's right to sell it. It's in the sweet spot. So I think you're in good shape. All right, look, this market refuses to traffic in everything that's going wrong. Instead, focus latches on 
to the affirmative. Now, if you're wondering how long the Johnny Mercerization of the market can last, I say stop right there. On the money tonight, I'm sitting down with a company putting the tech in MedTech. Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO of Medtronic, fresh off its presentation with David Morgan Healthcare Conference. Then, our coverage does not stop there. What, are you kidding me? We have Bristol Myers. They just added $2 billion to their buyout program. I got the exclusive with the CEO. And COVID vaccines are in high demand. No kidding. I'm talking with a company helping to manufacture the medicine to find out if it could be a shot in the arm for the stock. A little COVID vaccine joke. And please don't miss my sit down with Emergent Biosolutions. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Let's talk about the big winners from the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. We've talked about Lisa Gill. Remember, on Friday, we got more information. Aside from Eli Lilly, which spiked more than 11% on some terrific Alzheimer's news, the best news came from Bristol-Myers, up nearly 4%. Rather than one big thing, Bristol-Myers gave you lots of smaller good ones. Management laid out some excellent preliminary revenue goals for the new products, including at least three new drugs that they think could hit $4 billion in sales this decade. That was exactly what we needed to hear because Bristol-Myers now has a fabulous pipeline that's been bulked up by the acquisition of Celgene and recently Myocardia. On top of that, the company gave us some bullish free cash flow forecast for the next few years. They said they'll use that money to pay down debt and roll out a $2 billion buyback. For years, the stock has struggled to break out from its ceiling resistance in the mid-60s, where it's trading right now. My travel trust owns it. I think it's way too cheap. Could this be what puts them over the edge? Let's take a closer look with Dr. Giovanni Cafario, the chairman and CEO of Bristol-Myers Squibb. Get a clear read on the vision for the future. Dr. Cafario, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Giovanni, I looked through uh, everything on myocardia uh, in the acquisition, and I started thinking, bear with me, that all the things that it do, all the things that it does are all the things that happen to men, and this is maybe women, but men in their 50s and 60s. Why wouldn't we all be taking a myocardia drug at some point in our lives? Well, Jim, let me say, first of all, that cardiovascular disease is a real uh, really important area of unmet medical need. And as you know, we are one of the leading companies in the world in cardiovascular medicines with Eliquis, uh, the leader in terms of being the anticoagulant, uh, the leading anticoagulant in the world. So when we looked at the myocardia acquisition, we looked at a number of things. First of all, uh, their lead asset, our lead asset, Mavacampton, is active in a very serious disease of the heart, obstructive HCM. And... Uh, we know that uh, patients are waiting for an option there. There's nothing Not to treat that disease. There, is, there are 100,000 patients in the U.S. alone with that disease today. And we have an opportunity to bring to them a very innovative medicine. The second thing is it extends our cardiovascular franchise beyond Eliquis. And as you know, uh, you know that is a really important part of our strategy. So uh, Mavacantin is an important medicine for myocardia. We also acquired some uh, earlier assets in their pipeline, which are important to treat various types of uh, cardiovascular disease. And so I'm really uh, confident that 
uh, will continue to be a leader in cardiovascular. So someone told me the other day, you love this acquisition so much, Jim. You know, there were only 300 people there. That's all there were. And I said, that isn't really what matters. It doesn't matter how many people are there if you pay $13 billion. It matters what the drugs can do. Yes, and in fact, today we were able to discuss our view of the potential of Mavacampton with over $4 billion in sales. It's a transformative medicine. It's really indicative of the type of business development deals we want to do, mid-sized bolt-on acquisition that are growth and reaching for the company in the second half of the decade. And Myocardia has been a really important acquisition for us, and I see us continuing to be active in business development as a growth company. Do you think that uh, some of the reason for the strength in the stock on a down day is that people didn't realize the kind of cash flow that you really generate, that you literally had, even after all this debt paid down, the debt paid down has been very impressive, that you still had enough extra to be able to buy back stock when I think a lot of people felt there's no way they can have that much cash to be able to do that? I think it's a combination of things. First of all, the integration has gone very well. Today, we announced uh, an increased target for synergies at $3 billion, cumulative synergies by 2023. Second is our financial strength with uh, 45 to $50 billion in free cash flows in 21 through 23. And the third one really is the progress we've already made with advancing our pipeline and renewing our portfolio. So we have a strategy for growth that is based on innovation and the financial flexibility that we have to continue to invest in external uh, opportunities and complement our, our own internal pipeline uh, is clearly one of the areas of strength for the company. Now, you also got, I don't know if you want to call it lucky. I mean, because it's very strange. You had a you had this piece of paper uh, that was canceled because of a problem that was nothing to do with you. There was a problem in, in uh, examining a manufacturing facility that had to do with that. You can't go and look at it because of COVID. And because of that, you generated a, a lot more cash flow, $6.5 billion you saved. Um, is that Was that just a windfall? Well, let me say, first of all, our priority really has been from the beginning to bring lysosol and, and idosol to patients as soon as possible. And uh, uh, we did not uh, uh, receive approval by the end of last year, which was one of the conditions from, uh, for payment of the CVR. At the same time, I remain confident that we will obtain approval from the FDA for lysosol. And this is a really differentiated medicine that patients are waiting for and uh, we can't wait to have approval to bring it to patients. Now, I think that there were a lot of people who felt that Celgene overpaid for Receptos. When I look at what is happening right now with all the things that you got for Receptos, I'm not so sure it was such a bad deal. Well, we're very excited about Ozanimod, Zyposia. Uh, as you know, we launched in uh, multiple sclerosis in the middle of last year, and I'm pleased with the launch. Importantly, though, Late last year, we had positive results from a study with Zyposia in ulcerative colitis. That's a, an area with a very large unmet medical need where we now have an opportunity to bring to patients a first-in-class medicine with biologic-like efficacy and good safety. And uh, the potential of Zyposia has, uh, is very significant as well. You know that from the receptors acquisition, there are some other programs that are earlier in development, but... Zyposia is one of the key medicines that we count on for the renewal of our portfolio, and things are progressing very well. 
Uh, one last question. The there's a one of your presentations. It had a list of all the updevo things that have been going on, all the approvals, all of them. No one talks about it. There's just this idea that key true to one and forget about updevo. Doctor Cavaro, when I looked at just the the list, which is about as long as both my arms, I was surprised that people don't talk more about the franchise. It's exciting days for updevo. We are returning to growth this year and there are multiple opportunities ahead of us. So part of the Obdivo story is continuing to strengthen our presence in what's called the metastatic setting. Last year, we launched in first-line lung cancer and things are going very well. We have important launches coming in gastric cancer and renal cancer, but the next frontier for growth is what we call the adjuvant setting, the early stage where we have an opportunity to make a really big difference for patients and there, We've already demonstrated the benefit from Obdivo in four different types of cancers. So we're very well positioned to be a leader in this space and continue to grow Obdivo. And as you think about the growth story that I laid out this morning, clearly Obdivo together with the launch brands are going to be critical to the growth of Bristol Myers-Squibb going forward. And the, the company is in a position of real strength right now. That is very clear to me uh, after just terrific presentation. A lot to learn for those who don't know it, but a lot of it's really great. Dr. Giovanni Cafario, CEO of Bristol-Myers Squibb. Always great to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. People want inexpensive stocks that are high quality with a good dividend. I mean, that's, what Bristol, that's why I always make the joke that why do I have to worry about any stocks? Because I can own Bristol-Myers. Man, money's back in from the break. As more and more vaccines get rolled out, what's the best way to play it? Rather than betting on a single drug company, have you thought about maybe buying an arms dealer to the whole industry, like Emergent Biosolutions? Now, this is one of the best performers last spring. Emergent's got an established vaccine business, and they're working on blood plasma-based treatments for COVID. But most importantly, they've got a big contract manufacturing business for vaccines. They've signed production deals with the likes of J&J, AstraZeneca, and Novavax. Now, over the summer, emergent stock peaked, and it's come down nearly 40 bucks uh, from its August highs. However, last night, the company pre-announced some excellent full-year numbers for 2020 in anticipation of the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, and they paired that with some very bullish guidance for the year. In response, the stock jumped 1.7%. I wouldn't be surprised if it got more upside once such a down day, especially because they do have some pretty good deals with some important companies like J&J. So let's take a closer look with Bob Kramer. He's the president and CEO of Emergent Bio Solutions. Mr. Kramer, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, good to talk to you. Happy New Year. Oh, Happy New Year to you. Okay, so I uh, read the, the your excellent presentation, and Jessica Fry is a great analyst. Says you've got three main service pillars of development: uh, drug substance, uh, direct uh, drug substance manufacturing, direct product manufacturing, and of course development. And I think it's important that we start talking about that trilogy. I don't like to just pin you down to vaccines. So why don't you tell people about all the things you do? Because a lot of your profits are coming from other things too. Yeah, that, that's right, Jim. So I think when folks look at emergent, they should recognize the fact that we have a vaccine business unit device and drug device combination products, therapeutics, and then importantly, as you point out, a very broad contract development and manufacturing business unit, which has nine different manufacturing sites offering drug substance manufacturing, development services, drug product and packaging, 
uh, to all types of customers, large and small. And we couldn't be more proud, Jim, of the fact that we are right in the middle of this COVID-19 vaccine manufacturing collaborations with the firms that you mentioned uh, and are proud to be able to make a contribution to this fight. Now, I know that your five-year deal with J&J, which you signed on July 6th, is uh, supposed to begin right now, 2021, but you've been working closely with them the whole time, correct? We have. We've been working with them since the spring of last year, first of all, to make sure that we have properly stood up, Jim, a manufacturing system and process for their COVID-19 vaccine so we can be in a position of scaling up uh, an agreed-upon process and be able to make hundreds of millions of doses for them as well as for companies like AstraZeneca. How do you have the, uh, the bandwidth to be able to have a billion, a bi- billion vials? I mean, how's that happen? So we have a, a very unique and flexible manufacturing facility and, in fact, a whole network of manufacturing uh, systems and platforms, Jim. The one facility that we're doing a lot of the COVID-19 vaccine work uh, is based outside of Baltimore, and it was designed and constructed uh, for four independent manufacturing suites, each of which is capable of producing high volumes uh, of vaccines like for J&J and for, as well as for AZ. Now, uh, Dr. Gottlieb, former head of the FDA, came on our air this morning and said something that I, I think uh, heartened a lot of people. He said, don't be surprised that by the end of this quarter, if everyone doesn't really have a chance to get a vaccine, it's right now there's a bottleneck. But the amount of, of product that's coming out is extraordinary. He made me feel like there's possibility of a vaccine, even a glut in the second quarter. I mean, that would be very that would be very positive for the American people. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's what we're all working toward, Jim. And uh, just to, to state the obvious, these public-private partnerships, which were formed last year, which seek to leverage uh, infrastructure across the private industry with government in order to kind of create that manufacturing and development muscle for these products is critically important. And I think you'll start to see the benefits uh, and the value of those partnerships uh, later in Q1 and into Q2. So you think warp speed really worked, Bob? I think warp speed was a, a great um, structure in that it combined both scientific and technical expertise, uh, as well as the logistics support for companies like Emergent and for our collaborators like AstraZeneca and J&J. It gave the financial support that we could go ahead on behalf of our collaborators and manufacture product at risk in parallel with the phase three clinical trials that are going on so that when and hopefully when and if these products get approved by the FDA, uh, we'll already have a head start in having a, a significant number of doses ready to make available. So you, you believe that some of these companies literally made maybe millions of doses just with the idea that, hey, if it, if it works, we got to get it in people's arms. Well, that was the concept behind Operation Warp Speed, to take any slack out of the system and do things differently in a non-traditional way, take some additional risk, not with, importantly, Jim, patient safety or efficacy, but to make sure that we had hundreds of millions of doses available to the public as soon as we can. 
Well, look, that's our hope. I know that a lot of people are very concerned. Talk about it all the time. We've got to, everyone's got to get this vaccine. And if we're going to get it, we need Bob Kramer, President CEO of Emergent Biosolutions, to make all the vaccines he can. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks, Jim. Good to talk to you. All right. May have money's back after the break. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dad, over the lightning round. Let's start with Thomas in Florida. Thomas. Hey, what's up, Tim? How much about you? Um, I'm um, pretty good. I'm in Florida. Okay, that's good. Uh, I want to. I want to ask you about uh, Bluebird Bio. I think Bluebird Bio is a, it's pure spec. It, it's been some good, some bad, some good. I mean, if you're willing to take the pain of a spec, I like it. Let's go to Don in Wisconsin. Don. Oh, yeah, Jeff. Oh, yeah. See, I'm a third-time caller. And I just have to say thanks for all you do for me and all the small investors like me. Excellent. Thank you. Thank and you I for that. I want to say uh, hi to my grandkids, Joshua and Caitlin, and their parents. Love you more, guys. The heck, why not? Right. And my uh, question is, opinion on uh, OESX, Orion Energy? Wow, it's a small guy. Uh, third time caller, Don, and you know I do my best for you. I am going to have to come back because I do not know Orion Energy Systems. Let's go to William in Michigan. William. Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. I bought this stock in the low 10 with a strategy of holding long term. With the incoming Biden administration and the ability to calm tensions with China, along with Larry Culp's mission of profitability and rebound in a cash flow, do you foresee General Electric doubling in 2021? Uh, I don't think you can double, no. I don't think Larry Culp would say that either the CEO, but what I would say is the business is really turned. If you get uh, planes back in the air with a vaccine and you take a look at how well their hospital business is doing, and then you lump in the fact that windmills they are actually starting to do well and i think you say that ge is an upstock going higher how about 50 let's say 50 i how about we go to chad in tennessee chad booyah from lookout mountain tennessee there you go with my children chapman and mem and we want your opinion of one of our favorite stocks Starbucks will grow from 33,000 to 50,000 stores over the next decade. Combined with margin improvements, this will drive massive EPS growth in FY21 and 22. EPS growth will stay in the low double digits in the out years. Starbucks has one of the strongest customer loyalty programs in the world and is likely to be a major holding of ESC funds. They also have the best hot chocolate. Starbucks, giddy up! Holy cow, got the Walton family there. Okay, um, here's the deal. So I agree with you. I think Starbucks is great. Now, it just had a, a remarkable run from uh, a gallop from 80 right to 105. So let's make it, uh, let's have the family kind of just have some of the hot chocolate. Uh, you know, maybe go for the, uh, my wife likes to put the cubes in the thing. I don't know what that's about. Why would you ever get hot chocolate and put ice cubes in it? Isn't that like stupid? But anyway, I like the stock very much. She hasn't watched the show. I'm cool. Let's go to Sammy in New York. Sammy. Booyah, Jim. Happy New Year. Happy New Year right back to you. Uh, my question is about Uber. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're not going anywhere, but Uber just keeps going up and up. Tell me your thoughts on this. Uber Eats. 
It's a crusher. It really is. It's the winner. I think that Uber is a terrific stock. I've told that to them. It's a big turn. Once we got that consolidation in the delivery business and we realized that's all we really want, Uber Eats, and then Uber will be fine once we get the vaccine, I think you're in great shape. I'm going to Barun in New Jersey. Barun. Mr. Kramer, thanks for taking my call. I'm a big fan. A first-time caller okay. and happily satisfied with Action Alerts Plus. Boy, it's two. I love that. Action Alerts Plus, the club club member. What's going on? I currently hold SunPower, symbol SPWR. With the recent price increase, should I be adding or selling? Well, I think, look, it's had a big run, but do not sell it. Do not sell it because this is the kind of stock, along with a couple of others that I follow, that will do very well over the next four years because Joe Biden is the most environmentally sensitive uh, president I think we've ever had. I was going to say since Nixon because he came up with the Clean Air and Clear Water Act, but no one would ever buy that. So anyway, let's go to Ed in New Jersey. Ed. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Ed here. Uh, I want to talk to you about my stock. And if it's not already on your radar, I think it's worth a closer look. Uh, You last mentioned it back in July. Since then, we've got FDA approval. The stock price has doubled. And I think the pipeline looks more promising than ever. What's your take on BioCrisp Pharmaceuticals? See, I was biased against it, as you know, because they had a lot of great things that they said were going to happen and they never happened. But you know what? I'm open-minded. Let's get him back on the show before we jump to a conclusion. It's been a long time. And that, ladies and the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. In all the excitement about Tesla, the stock, we sometimes forget about Tesla, the company, and what it stands for. At the end of the day, Elon Musk has a vision to make a car that doesn't destroy the environment. For years now, he's had the electric vehicle market pretty much to himself, to the point where Tesla now has the kind of scale that allows them to fund their business at a very inexpensive level by selling more stock to eager buyers pretty much every day. Tesla's here to stay. But now they finally have a credible challenger. NIO, N-I-O, the Chinese company that just unveiled a new electric luxury sedan this very weekend. Now, this thing does look incredible with some great features, including an NVIDIA-powered autonomous driving solution, why NVIDIA stock was up so much. Lots of bells and whistles that could ultimately rival Tesla's merchandise. At the moment, Wall Street somehow views this as a zero-sum game. It's Tesla versus NIO with only one winner which is why Tesla plunged almost 8% today, while Neo surged 6%, even if Neo is getting slammed in after-hours trading thanks to a downgrade from Citigroup. The seesaw-like nature of the action here means weakness in Neo tonight could be good for Tesla tomorrow. Now, I, I think the market's attitude towards this is ridiculous. Uh, right now, electric vehicles make up just 3% of the auto market. That's absolutely enough room. Uh, I'd say you could have... Ten times as many automakers. I mean, come on. There's so much room here. Even with all of its new factories, Tesla can't make enough cars to satisfy the demand. Here's how I see it. Many people who buy Tesla's stock, they think they're making a statement. It's not just a fabulous momentum stock that represents a little chunk of a company that's making massive amounts of money out. It's also a way of putting money behind an enterprise that's trying to make fossil fuels obsolete. This is especially true of younger investors who genuinely believe they're contributing to the decline and fall of the internal combustion engine. They want to kill the oil industry. And Elon Musk is their champion. 
To them, it's a virtuous circle. The higher Tesla stock goes, the more money it can raise, which allows them to build more cars, make more money, and replace more gas customers on the road. I don't see Neo's new luxury sedan disrupting that process. There's enough room for two high-quality electric car makers. The internal combustion engine is the past, not the future. What makes me so confident? Listen, I'm a huge football fan, something you know if you watch my uh, bull market fantasy show. I watched all six games this weekend, including the endless car ads. I always marvel that Tesla never needs to advertise. Too much demand, not enough supply. Their cars advertise themselves. But now we're supposed to worry about competition? I mean, that is crazy. Doesn't hurt that the incoming president, Joe Biden, will be a lot more friendly to alternative energy than his predecessor. The Democrats actually believe in fighting against climate change. So they believe in climate change. So it wouldn't shock me if they roll out some new subsidies or tax credits for electric vehicles, even if Tesla doesn't really need them. But if we throw more money at the industry, that means Tesla can build more factories and satisfy more demand, meaning the virtuous circle will only accelerate. Which brings me back to the Neo versus Tesla food fight. I've got to tell you, the only thing limiting these companies is their production capacity. Industry analysts predict that the auto industry could be 10 percent electric in four years, more than triple it is now. But that, that's really up to uh, the manufacturers like Neo and Tesla. If they keep raising capital at little or no cost, thanks to voracious demand from the stock market, then they can build more capacity and the combustion engine will die out far more quickly. It is hard to remember another time when individuals bought stock in part because they're simply rooting for the underlying company. Usually that kind of thing is disastrous. But with Tesla and Neo, it's made you a fortune. Today's nearly 8% decline does not deter me. That's because the buyers are riding one of the great tidal waves of all time. The need to cut back on fossil fuels before climate change floods half the planet. The people buying Tesla's cars and its stock are rebels with a cause, and their cause is winning. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.